Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teachatluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to explore the notion of Britishness, including the stereotypes, the reality, and the complexity of defining Britishness, or in fact, any other national identity. Uh, you'll find that a lot of what I'm saying is transcribed on the page for this episode on teacherluke.co.uk, although not all of it has been prepared in advance, and there will be some moments when I go off script and improvise. So this episode is a mix of scripted and unscripted bits. This might be a long episode because Britishness is a big subject. Um, I have no idea how long the episode is going to be at this stage. And if it is really, really long, then I will divide it into several episodes. And then you'll just get even more for your money, which is quite a lot considering it's a free podcast. So Britishness, that's the topic. That's what we're going to be looking at in this episode. So I'm British, right? I'm British, so I suppose I must be some kind of 19th century cross between a gentleman and a hooligan with a newspaper and an umbrella under my arm, a cup of milky tea in one hand, a pint of warm beer in the other, eating a bag of fish and chips while talking in Shakespearean English about the benefits of the rules of cricket and the class system before getting blind drunk at a football match, invading a bunch of developing countries and then sort of apologising a bit like Hugh Grant... Because basically we're just a bloody nice bunch of chaps who mean no harm and live in a kind of antique world of Downton Abbey where we all just keep calm and carry on while being awfully polite and well-mannered, except, of course, when we're playing Germany or France at football, when we all forget our national anthem before transforming into a gang of brutal thugs who then smash up the local town and blame it on illegal immigrants while we continue to eat our bad food under our bad weather using our bad teeth the whole time making making bad jokes in accents that nobody can understand before stopping everything in order to camp outside a hospital to await the birth of some blue-blooded, bawling British baby who, if he's lucky enough to make it to 100 years old, he'll probably put on a magic golden hat in a massive old castle in order to become our unelected and powerless king, like some kind of twisted, modern, real-life version of Game of Thrones in 3D. Yes, I'm from Britain. In fact, I'm from London, which, um, as you probably know, is in England, which is in Britain, which is in the UK, which is in Europe, sort of. It's not really in Europe. It's near Europe. Um, it's next to Europe. It is connected to Europe, of course, by uh, treaties and by a tunnel which goes under the water. Um, and uh, it, in fact, there's a door at, uh, at their end in Britain and they reserve the right to just close that door whenever they want. In fact, I think they lock it at night and at the weekend, um, as if to say, thanks, Europe, thanks a lot for the cheese. It was very nice. Uh, we'll see you on Monday. 
in fact, it's a bank holiday weekend, so we'll catch up with you guys on Tuesday. So not really in Europe, Britain. It's it's really it's in the sea, isn't it? Because it's an island. Yes, it's an island. It's not Ireland. No, that's a different country. That's an independent country. Um, that's that is an island too, and it's also called Ireland, just with different spelling pronunciation's the same but Ireland's not in Britain no don't make that mistake and it's not in the UK either no except for Northern Ireland Um, that's not an island because it's actually in Ireland although it's not part of Ireland it's actually part of Britain although it's not in Britain Mm -hmm. but it is in the UK Northern Ireland is definitely in the UK the UK that's that stands for the United Kingdom Uh, kingdom because apparently we are united by a king technically it's a queen um, but let, let's not th- let that bother us too much. Um, so United Queen, we could call it the United Queendom, change the name, but that probably wouldn't be very popular. We could call it the UQ, uh, which is appropriate because we do queue. We do. We, we love queuing and we're very good at it. We may be the best in the world at queuing, although I think maybe the Japanese, they actually may be the international champions at queuing. Um and obviously there may be some other competitors out there too, but I think probably the Japanese are, are the top uh, competitors when it comes to queuing. Although saying that, they do require markings on the ground, uh, on the station platform. So I think in a freestyle event, the Brits would win every time. Um, so there you go. That's just a little introduction there about um, being British. And, um, so what is all this about, you might be asking yourself? What's going on, Luke? Why are you repeating bits of your stand-up routine? Well, I just thought it would be appropriate because this episode is all about defining Britishness, or at least attempting to do that. Um, Just for a bit of context, recently in some of my English classes, we've been studying topics related to the UK, such as the political system, the monarchy, the relationship between the UK and Europe, and stuff like that. Um, In our first lesson, we considered the idea of Britishness national identity and the citizenship test just as a sort of introduction to the uk in general um you know what is britishness and what what do you understand uh, by the expression britishness so as a warm-up exercise in some of my classes um, i invited my students to try and define the term britishness to try and brainstorm in pairs uh, just some ideas and things they associate with the, uh, the idea of Britishness. And the results were the usual mix of stereotypes, some stereotypes, and, and some kind of genuine insight. Um, and I found it particularly interesting to see the difference between how my students see my country from an outsider's point of view and how I see it from the inside. Okay, so it's interesting to look at the idea of Britishness, um, either defined by uh, people uh, abroad when they look at uh, the UK from from abroad, or how the people in the UK define their own national identity as well. And in fact, really just looking at the, the question of how do you define a national identity? And we'll, we'll be using Britain as an example. Um, and obviously, this is Luke's English podcast. And, um, you know, I'm from the UK. So, so I, I have an interest, I have a particular interest in this. And hopefully you do too. Um, of course, I'm always interested in your comments and things like that. And I'm also interested in just uh, any reflections that you have, not just about Britishness, but about, for example, your national identity, stereotypes about your countries and the realities about your countries too, or about how you see Britain from your position 
Um, leave your comments, teacherluke.co.uk. This one is going to be called, I think it's going to be called What is Britishness? What is Britishness? Um, so Britishness is hard to define, just like any national identity, really. In fact, it seems that defining Britishness is harder than you might expect. In fact, the more you think about it, the more complex it becomes. And you end up dealing with, you know, questions of um, politics and power and immigration and history and, and geography and so many things. And it's remarkably hard to put your finger on a universally, universally true definition of Britishness. Instead, you end up with the usual stereotypes, either held by foreigners who have their own view of the UK, or by British people themselves, who, for one reason or another, define their culture with certain reference points. For example, it's fish and chips, or it's a cup of tea and a game of cricket on the TV, or whatever. Um, but I want to try and go a bit deeper than the usual lists of associations although we will look at those lists of associations i'd like to try and go a bit deeper and explore the subject in some depth um so that's what i would like to uh, do in this episode i'd like to cover that in this episode britishness what is it what is it not um i might not be a social historian but um and i might not have all of the answers but nevertheless let's get stuck into this topic and see what we can come up with essentially in this episode i'm going to talk about british images in order to give you a broader understanding of the topic beyond just the usual stereotypes and i'm trying to sort of bridge the gap between what foreigners understand to be british and what british people understand to be british in order to just try and i'm just trying to make the world a better place I mean, I'm just trying to bring those two things together so that uh, I'm just trying to create a bit of understanding, man. Anyway, uh, no need to be sort of embarrassing about it. Is there, Luke? No. Let's keep a stiff upper lip about it. No need to make a fool of yourself. Uh, although I think making a fool of yourself is quite a British thing. We do like to sort of make fun of ourselves. Um, and remember that. Remember that, that Brits do like to make fun of themselves. And sometimes I might act like I'm, all be like I'm being all arrogant. I'm not really. It's just a, just a sort of, I don't know how to explain it. It's a joke, I suppose so. I'm just pretending to be, pretending to be a lot more arrogant than I really am. Or am I? I don't know sometimes. The, the question of humour and the, the importance of humour in British culture is a big thing. We'll come on to that in a bit. Um, so, uh, to prepare for this episode, I have written myself some notes, uh, and I've scripted some parts. Um, uh, so, um, so some of it's scripted, um, blah, 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 blah. Um, you will be able to read some of this stuff on the website if you want to. Um, and, uh, I will add, um, yeah, I'll also add this episode to the transcript collaboration page so that if you want to transcribe the stuff that's not already transcribed you can so please feel free to add comments under this episode to work on transcribing this episode on the subject of the transcript collaboration can i just say at this point thank you very much for those of you who have been working on transcriptions it's brilliant and i don't know when when was it that i launched the transcript collaboration it must have been about a year ago i think i could check it out on my website but i i can't be bothered and it's not necessary. But the thing is, 
uh, I started the transcript collaboration page, uh, page about a year ago. Um, and it's, it's, it's a big success, I think. Um, if you look at teacherluke.co.uk and check out the transcript collaboration page, you will see lists of transcripts that have been finished or transcripts which are uh, being worked on right now. The, f- the list of finished transcripts is really big. It's really long now. People, you've been doing good work. Thank you. You know who you are. Thank you very much. If you haven't checked it out, go and check out the transcript collaboration. See all the stuff that's been done. A lot of the episodes of the podcast have been fully transcribed. Um, the, the, the finished transcripts that you can see there, some of them have been added to the website already. And they've been proofread and checked and corrected and stuff. Little corrections have been made by me. And then I've published them on the pages for those episodes. Uh, but the other ones that haven't been proofread, most of those transcripts are sort of they're mainly correct there there are some little corrections that i will need to make i haven't proofread them all but anyway there's a lot of stuff there for you to check out anyway let's get down to business and deal with the question of what is britishness um so um right so let's have a look at some of the stereotypes of the uk from abroad um i know that i have dealt with this a little bit before so i'm going to sort of try and move through it fairly swiftly um so what did my students come up with after i'd asked them to brainstorm their associations with britain or britishness um so i asked them to you know think of values people any other aspects of the culture. Um, And I'm going to go through that list in a second. Um, So I've included what I heard from students and other people I've met over the years, in fact. So not only in the list I'm about to go through, not only will you find things that my students in France came up with, but also the, the kind of things that I've heard from students from many, many countries, um, typical reference points that people have for for the uk uh they may be they may be true they may be stereotypes let's have a look um um so and i know i've talked about the i've talked about some of these things before and in fact i've talked about the fact that i've talked about these things before before as well and in fact right now i'm pretty sure that in fact i'm now talking about the fact that i've talked about talking about talking about things before 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 as well anyway i don't mean to confuse you here is the list of things in no particular order so the first thing is bad food right obviously britain's known for its bad food okay all right maybe maybe that's true maybe we spent uh rather than focusing on our food maybe we spent more time trying to take over the world and uh and then just we ate your food instead Maybe that's what it was. Um, maybe uh, it's something to do with our climate that uh, we don't have such a broad range of... Uh, f- we Traditionally, we didn't have a broad range of ingredients available to us. It's not like living in the Mediterranean where you get, you know, all these very tasty, sun-enriched uh, foods. Up in the north, it's harder to find, you know, such a broad range of food. Maybe it's something to do with the class system, that the upper classes tend to ha- tended to have the good food... And therefore, that food is associated with a very sort of uh, expensive and exclusive class. So it's not always obvious. It's not always hard to. It's not always easy to find English food uh, because it's associated with rich upper class people, and the lower class, more f- f- readily available food tends to be sort of slightly lower in standard. I don't know. There are lots of reasons for it. On balance, though. 
I would say that you've probably got a point if you think that English food is bad in comparison to other foods. I would say it's just harder to find good English food. And in fact, English food is getting better and better all the time. If you go to London, there are loads and loads of great restaurants. So, yeah, I'm not entirely convinced that the stereotype of English of bad English food still still is is valid. Um although I understand if you go and get some fish and chips in some chip shop, in the middle of a city somewhere, it's likely to be quite greasy and and so on. Anyway, um, I, I do get a bit annoyed when people just tell me that British food is is terrible. Um, I, it does annoy me a bit because you know what are you saying about my mum's cooking? You know what I mean? Like my mum cooks well, so don't try and tell me that English food is bad. It's just not fair. It's like a generalisation. Um, uh, so fish and chips, okay, fair enough. Yeah, we do eat fish and chips sometimes on Friday. And I love fish and chips, in fact. Uh, jelly, I'm always told by uh, uh, people that, oh, English food is just jelly. Yeah, well, yeah, not just jelly. And we don't eat jelly that much. Um, tea, of course. Uh, tea, well, yes, we do love tea. I love tea. Um, but most people drink tea in a certain way. They don't necessarily drink it from one of those old-fashioned, ornate tea sets. It's not a very posh experience, usually. You don't always have to have, like, a tea set with a cup and saucer. Uh, mm, pass the sugar, dear. No, it's not always like that. You know, Often you'll have tea in a mug, uh, a big mug, like mug that you use to drink coffee, um, and uh, we have milk with it and stuff like that. It's more of a sort of uh, it's it's less formalised than you might expect. It's a, it's much more of an informal thing. Do you fancy a cup of tea? Yeah, lovely. Have you got any biscuits? Nice. Thanks very much. Cheers. That kind of thing. Sit down in the afternoon with a few friends uh, and uh, put a ke- put the kettle on. That kind of thing. So yeah, tea is important, and of course it goes back to our our um, colonial past with India um, and. Um, you know, we colonised India, and and India is where all the tea comes from. Sri Lanka and Assam. Obviously, Sri Lanka is not in India, but anyway, from this region. Um, so that's why we've got tea in our culture because it's it comes from the Victorian period when uh, we colonised India, uh, and the colonisation of India. Well, that's a slightly controversial topic because obviously it involved. Um, well, the, the, the British Empire did some pretty irresponsible and uh, cruel things um, in terms of its colonisation of India. Um, um, people wrote down things like this. The Queen, like we worship the Queen. Well, we don't really worship the Queen. In fact, most people uh, are quietly proud of the Queen. Most people like her. I mean, not necessarily as a person. I mean, we don't really know what she's like as a person because she doesn't express her opinions on many things. Um, But most people are quite happy to have the Queen. Um, But we don't sort of worship her or anything like that. It's more of a sort of fun kind of light-hearted sort of uh, feeling. Um, And I guess the Queen really represents the nation. So if you're proud of the Queen, it also means you're proud of, of, of Britain. So they people use the queen as a symbol of their of their you know comfort and pride in in being British. Um, other things like Hugh Grant and certain movie stars, maybe not Hugh Grant so much anymore. These days we've got um, 
other people like Benedict Cumberbatch and uh, stuff like that. Uh, these these movie stars who seem to seem to be quintessentially British or quintessentially English. What is it about them that's quintessentially English? Something about the kind of eccentricity, uh, something about the clothing style, um, and maybe the the manners and the the understated sense of humor things like that um britain's known for its bad weather um the the it, basically the weather is well compared to many other parts of the world the weather seems to be gray and wet and cold but it's not that sort of horrendous i mean it never gets really extreme it's just reliably gray let's say um changeable as well that's that's another thing about british weather it changes a lot and, you know, you d- we don't get long periods of sunshine. You'll get a bit of sunshine, a bit of rain. So it's hard to just rely on the weather, especially in the summertime. The way it normally goes is that the winter is long and cold and wet and a bit depressing because there's not much light. And then spring comes along and you think, ah, oh, finally, uh, hope. Hope enters your heart again. And people start making plans about the summer and they think, oh, I'm looking forward to the summer. It's going to be great. Imagining walking around in shorts and T-shirts and flip-flops and stuff like that. And we continue to dream of the summer all the way into the beginning of June. And, you know, it's raining and not as warm as you expected. And you think, oh, well, it's okay. We've got plenty of time. And then in July, it, July comes along and it's still grey and uh, still not quite hot enough. Uh, and that, in fact, that feeling often continues all the way through uh, the whole summer. And the summer never fully arrives in a satisfying way, except maybe for a couple of weeks of a heat wave where you get, you know, two weeks of hot, sunny weather and everyone is out in the park uh, making the most of the sunshine um, before, you know, September comes in again. You might get an Indian summer. An Indian summer basically is like a late summer. Sometimes a late in late September or even early October, you get a period, like maybe a week or two of really nice uh, sunshine and hot weather. That seems to have happened in the last few years. Um, Britain um, apparently is also known for its drunkenness. Uh, we drink a lot, but I have said on the podcast before that it seems that most nations are famous for their drunkenness, aren't they? Um, but certainly the English, we do like a drink. Uh, that's that's true. And uh, that's a, we have slightly a, a slightly bad reputation for being um, uh, messy Uh, messy drunks and if you go to most uk towns on a friday or saturday night at about 12 or 1 a.m you'll find that the the scenes are pretty uh intense with people coming out of nightclubs and pubs in various different states of uh of drunkenness and um so certainly yeah friday saturday night there is a bit of a drinking culture which i have talked about before football hooligans is another thing that uh we may be known for slightly less now although recently there was a story of uh, chelsea football fans um on the french metro system being uh loud and aggressive and racist as well they they pushed a black uh french um uh um what's the word for someone who's traveling to work commuter that's it uh they chelsea fans were on the way to a football game against um, paris uh, saint-germain and the chelsea fans were being uh, rowdy 
and noisy and racist. And it was very embarrassing for me as an English person. I think, oh, these these Chelsea twats. Um, and it's, to be honest, it's not all Chelsea fans. It's just like a small um, group among the fans who that who were just being racist and irresponsible. They pushed a black guy, a commuter, off the train. And then they started chanting, we're racist and, we, we're, and we're proud of it. Okay, very bad. I think the... the um, the guy who who was responsible for pushing the guy off the train. Now, he didn't push him off the train while the train was moving. No, the train was in the, the station and the doors were going to close and the guy wanted to get in the carriage and the Chelsea fans pushed him out onto the platform. He didn't fall over. He just couldn't get in the, into the train. Anyway, the people responsible, I think, have been uh, arrested by the police because that kind of behaviour... That kind of racism and uh, like uh, hate, you know, hateful behaviour is not really tolerated. Um, so on one hand, we've got you know the, the the drunken football hooligan. On the other hand, though, we have the other uh, sort of British stereotype of the gentleman, the um, the, the polite, uh, formal gentleman who's kind of in, indirect and and uh, well mannered. So these two aspects. The, 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 the gentleman, like sort of your Prince Charles or Hugh Grant on one side, and then a football hooligan, um, you know, maybe embodied by the image of someone like Wayne Rooney, um, and uh, or, or somewhere in the middle, uh, like Prince Harry, because he kind of combines the, the best or worst of both worlds, doesn't he, it seems. Um, uh, our, our colonial past, as I've mentioned, and the British Empire that used to span the globe, they, they used to say that the, the sun never set on the British Empire, which meant that, you know, somewhere around the world, uh, the sun was always shining on the British Empire because our empire went all the way around the world. That has, of course, reduced now uh, and, and independence was given back to many nations. And we don't really have an empire anymore. There's the British Commonwealth of Nations, which um, isn't really a power structure. It's, it's more like a sort of... Um, a club maybe there are some trade agreements between members of the 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 uh, commonwealth but there's not really much power in in the commonwealth per se not certainly not as much as you would get from trade agreements with europe um so other stuff i mean marmalade uh, marmalade is a kind of jam made from oranges that you spread on your toast in the morning um and that seems to be uh, something that uh, people think of when they think of britain also marmite I should say. Uh, Marmite is also another uh, kind of spread, um, which uh, is it's like a brown, sticky, smelly uh, spread that you put onto toast or other things. Um, and it's actually made of yeast, brewer's yeast, vitamin B. Um, what's yeast? Well, when you're making bread, You've got your flour and sugar and salt and eggs, I think. Are eggs in bread? I don't know. Anyway, um, you can tell I'm English because I, <laughs> I don't know how to cook these things. But anyway, bread, the normal ingredients. There's one special ingredient that you must include in bread that will help it to rise in the oven, and that's yeast, okay? Marmite is basically uh, sort of, it's basically yeast um, in a sort of black thick, sticky, smelly uh, spread. And the thing about Marmite, the thing that everyone knows about Marmite is that you either love it or hate it. 
Okay, you love it or you hate it. So Marmite is synonymous with um, dividing people in two categories. You either love it or hate it, okay? Um, what do I think of Marmite? I like it. I, I Actually, I'm not in one of those categories. I don't hate it, but I don't love it either. I will eat it. I, to be honest, I think I would be in the I love it category because we used to have Marmite at home. And Marmite uh, reminds me of um, my childhood eating toast with my dad because um, my dad would have a bit of Marmite on toast. So it reminds me of eating toast or maybe eating boiled eggs uh, with toast with my dad. It's the sort of thing that my dad would prepare. If my mum was out doing something, my dad would prepare eggs on toast with some Marmite. So, yeah, I do love Marmite. Um, other people uh, have uh, written, other people in my classes wrote Margaret Thatcher as one of the people that they think of when they think of the UK. And of course, Margaret Thatcher was the Prime Minister of the UK uh, from 1979 to 1990. And she's a very significant figure in modern British life because um, she quite radically changed the country. I mean, she changed the economy, turning it into a, a liberalised kind of uh, American style free market economy um, and she closed a lot of national industries like the coal mines for example she battled with the trade unions and um, ultimately kind of um, managed to break the trade union movement in the UK um, and really sort of to an extent uh, her her um, premiership her period as the prime minister really kind of killed off the socialist movement in the UK. And since then, really, the UK has always been sort of centre, centre right in terms of its politics. We have, we did have the Labour Party. They, they came back with Tony Blair as the new Labour Party, but they weren't, they weren't really a socialist party like we had before Thatcher. Um, so really, the socialist movement was was kind of ended to an extent or certainly limited by what Thatcher did with our economy. Um, so Margaret Thatcher was, she was a very divisive person as well. I mean, we had Marmite, either you love it or you hate it. And we also have Margaret Thatcher. She's like Marmite as well, because either you love her or you hate her, it seems. She was divisive. That is the word that we think of when, um, that's, that's the really the word that was used in the newspapers when Margaret Thatcher died. It's the defining word for Margaret Thatcher. She divided the nation into people who supported her and people who quite passionately hated her. And when Margaret Thatcher died just a couple of years ago, um, I wonder if you know, do you know what the uh, most downloaded song on the iTunes store in the UK was when Margaret Thatcher died? What was the song that everyone was downloading when Thatcher died. Do you know? Well, the song was called Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead. And it's a song from the movie um, The Wizard of Oz. In The Wizard of Oz, um, you know you know, the, you know, the Wizard of Oz, don't you? There are a couple of witches in that film and uh, they're evil. And when one of the witches dies, a lot of the characters run around dancing and singing a song of joy, which goes Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead. Um, I wonder if I can play it to you. Okay, I've found it. Okay, 
Okay, basically, ding dong, the witch is dead, the wicked witch is dead. Which um, makes you think, uh, it makes you think, doesn't it? Like, really? People were, people hated Thatcher so much that they they wanted to celebrate her death by downloading that song? Yep, that's right. That's That's true. So not everyone hated her. Some people thought she was great and they really agreed with what she managed to do to the economy and she brought the country out of recession and and um, allowed people to be proud uh, and stuff like that. Other people really hated her because she sort of destroyed many communities, communities that were based around uh, various industries, industries that she closed. So these were industries like the coal mines and so on. We had communities in Wales, in the north of England and in Scotland and so on that were, that, you know, relied on these industries. And when she closed those industries down in order to save money and import a lot of that, those, um, those uh, uh, commodities, um, all these communities lost jobs and the communities sort of died as a result. She killed these communities off and that's why many people really strongly hate her. There are other reasons too. The Falklands War. Um, she, you know, took the country to war uh, to protect the Falklands, which is, a, again, another controversial issue. If you're in Argentina, you might have fairly strong views on that too. I'm, I'm not going to say really either way. Uh, you know where I stand on war. I mean, it's a complex thing. Anyway, Thatcher, certainly a, a very important person in British life. Um, other stuff uh, that that my students have mentioned. Um, and I'm quite proud of this bit. Uh, that was the people wrote things like The Beatles, The Clash, The Arctic Monkeys, underground British music and so on. So yes, British music. And I'm very proud of the fact that Britain has produced lots of really vibrant music over the years. And it's something that, um, you know, we value a lot in our culture uh, our music and of all the things that that Britain has done I think maybe the music is is the thing that I'm most proud of and it's the thing that I can feel comfortable to be proud of um, British films you know various British films over the years not just the gritty Brit flicks but also the the, the more serious uh, and and um, um, interesting uh, British movies that we've had um, and to be honest, if I started talking about British films, I'd need to do a whole podcast about it. And I've, I've been meaning to do that for some time. I think you'll agree. Yes. Um, uh, our relationship with, with America. Um, it, I think Thatcher said um, that uh, we had a special relationship with the US, which probably annoys everyone else in the world, certainly in Europe. They look at Britain and America being all friendly with each other, George Bush and Tony Blair, you know, and their friendship. And it, it probably sickens the rest of the world a little bit, especially when you consider that Britain and the US, when they've got together as friends, it often means that they're, you know, intervening in some, um, in some other region of the world, um, maybe, you know, in the Middle East or something like that. So, yeah, there is a, there is a connection to the US as well. I mean, it's not always friendly, um, there's 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 a bit of um, uh, conflict between the US and the UK as well. They say that they're, they're two countries separated by a common language. So despite the fact that the US and the UK have the same language, uh, it's a slightly different version of the language. And um, 
uh, and and those slight differences um, do divide us. So although we've got like a a, a kind of a, um, political relationship and we share the same language, it doesn't necessarily mean that we are the best of friends. Um, anyway, there is a there is a certain relationship with the US. Um, which um, I have gone into before in the podcast. Uh, moving forwards, literature. People mention things like Shakespeare and Dickens. Uh, Sherlock Holmes is a an, a an image that people think of when they consider the uh, the UK. Um, and I must do an episode again about Sherlock Holmes. I did do. A, I've mentioned Sherlock uh, several times before on the podcast, and uh, I'd, I'd like to talk about the TV show because uh, I love the the TV show Sherlock, you know, the one with Benedict Cumberbatch. I think it's one of the best things on TV and I can't wait for the new episodes to arrive whenever they are going to arrive. I just can't wait. Uh, for me, new episodes of Sherlock are like an event and uh, it's, you know, I, I want to stop everything just so I can watch it. I love uh, the TV, the new TV remake of Sherlock um, with Benedict Cumberbatch. I think it was Caitlin Moran, the comedian, who said that um, Benedict Cumberbatch may be the only person ever to play Sherlock Holmes who has a name which is even more ridiculous than Sherlock Holmes. Um, which is true, isn't it, when you think about it? Benedict Cumberbatch, what a name. And Sherlock Holmes, what a name too. Um, I, I I will have to leave that subject for now and come back to it. Um so what else? Confusing differences. People are always confused between the UK, Britain, England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, the British Isles and stuff like that. Let me try and clarify it for you once and for all. England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, they are four countries. Those four countries together uh, are united uh, and that's one nation, one state called the United Kingdom. Okay, so the United Kingdom is made up of four countries, England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. England's the biggest country of the four, then Scotland, then Wales, I think, and then Northern Ireland. All right. Um, Now, Britain refers to the geographical island. It's a geographical word, Britain, and it refers to the landmass that includes England, Scotland and Wales. That's Britain. And Northern Ireland geographically is actually part of Ireland, part of that landmass. But there is a, a border up there in the north, uh, the sort of north uh, northeast part, formerly, well, it's also called Ulster. Um, I think I'm being correct here. Uh, that, that county was actually divided from the rest of Ireland and uh, is part of the United Kingdom. Okay, so Northern Ireland is actually uh, part of the geographical landmass of Ireland, but in fact, politically, it's part of the United Kingdom. The rest of that landmass is known as the Republic of Ireland, which, you know, as the name suggests, and as you know, is a republic completely independent from the UK, a member of the European Union, and so on. All right. The British Isles is a, a term that's used to describe all of the islands in that area, including Britain and uh, various other islands, including the Isle of Wight and the Isle of Man and the Scilly Isles and Orkney and and, and, and so on. There are others. Um, I think technically Ireland is, count, is considered to be part of the British Isles, although I'm sure that there are plenty of people in Ireland who don't really like that, um, that definition. 
but I think the British Isles, again, it's just a geographical name uh, to refer to all of the little islands in that whole area. Um, okay, so other things that people have mentioned to me in my classes are stuff like our strange British humour. So uh, it seems that a lot of people, when they say, oh, this must be British humour, what they mean by that is this is humour that I don't understand. So for for many people abroad, it seems that British humour is synonymous with strange humour, strange humour that's not funny or bizarre humour. And I suppose it's true we do have a slightly surreal, uh, abstract sense of humour. But um, we've got, you know, I think we've got quite a refined sense of humour and it's quite cerebral, it's quite intelligent. Although, I mean, if you look at Mr Bean, it's not that intelligent. But to be honest, Mr Bean is only something that people internationally think of as British humour. In the UK, we we don't really, we're not really that into Mr Bean these days. In fact, Mr Bean hasn't been on TV since like the 90s. And if you say, if you ask British people what they consider to be great British comedy, then they probably won't say Mr. Bean, they'll say other things. I mean, there are new comedy shows coming out all the time, and uh, Mr. Bean is something that we've mainly forgotten about. He was in the Olympic ceremony, but you know why? It's because the rest of the world, you know, needed to see Mr. Bean in the in- Olympic ceremony. I, th- You know, on balance, I think Mr. Bean is pretty funny. It's it's pretty good. He's, he's a good silent... Rowan Atkinson is a good silent comedian. Um, and he's, you know, he's, he's very good at mime and his facial expressions and his, his body language is funny, but it's not the most complex humour out there, is it? You know me, I love Monty Python, but since then there have been loads and loads of other shows. Um, and I do plan to continue talking about British humour and British comedy on the podcast. Um, uh, I've, I've done episodes about British comedy before and I do plan to do more. Uh, British comedy and British humour, they're different things. For me, comedy is about uh, entertainment, shows on TV uh, and and theatre performances, stand-up comedy and so on. And British humour just refers to the way in which we use humour in our everyday lives. And so, yeah, British humour is quite, is quite unique, I suppose. Not that, to be honest, you can't say quite unique. I'd say it is unique because either things are unique or not, right? Well, anyway, British humour is, is, is unique, really, and it involves certain specific things like sarcasm and taking the piss out of each other, taking the mickey out of each other and stuff like that. Um, in the UK, we don't have a monopoly on sarcasm or irony, but the main thing is that we value our humour a lot. And uh, it's almost like there's, there's always a place for humour, um, there's always a time for humour. It's not that there's... Um, in some cultures, there is a specific time and a place uh, for humour. Like you'd say, OK, now we will have half an hour of humour. No, in, 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 in the England, in the UK, any time's an appropriate time for a joke, really. Although, you know, don't take that as a green light to just make a joke whenever you want. But you might find that humour is is something that you will... If you're, you know, if you're in the UK, you might find that people are joking a lot in any situation, in a hospital or whatever. But you've got to be careful with that. There's a way to joke. Often jokes are made in a very understated way. Like, you know, you say it with a very serious voice, um, with a straight face and sarcasm. 
and often it's hard to identify when someone is being sarcastic or 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 not anyway I, I will have to come back to the subject of British humour. That's not the main focus of this episode. So the list goes on. The list of, of things that my students uh, noted or that students in the past have noticed uh, noticed and noted, in fact. The list goes on. Um, I'd like to just remind you at this moment uh, of two things. One of them is that uh, I'd like you to add your your comments in the in the uh, comments section of this episode uh, and tell me what your associations are of uh, the UK. Um, Tell me what your associations are. What are the standard things that people think about Britain in your country? Um, Are they like well-informed stereotypes? Are they real or are they just, you know, cliches? Uh, Don't worry, I'm not going to judge you harshly. I'm just interested in um, having your input regarding what the commonly held images of the UK are in your country. And do write comments on the website because it's a good way for you to interact with me and each other. And it's also a little opportunity for you to practice producing some English. So that's the, the first thing I want to remind you about at this point. The other thing I want to remind you about is that Audible uh, offer, um, audible.com. Um, they they uh, sell audiobooks. Normally, audiobooks there cost like you know ten pounds, fifteen pounds, or something like that. Um, now, Audible.com uh, would like to offer you, my listeners, um, a free thirty day membership trial, uh, which includes uh, a free download of any audiobook that you want. So, if you haven't already taken advantage of this offer then I'd like to suggest that you do so. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash teacher Luke and there you can register and uh, get your free audiobook. Now, don't worry. Um, don't worry about this. Um, you, you will notice that when you register, they ask for, your, for you to become a member and you will give them your card details. Don't worry, because Audible is a very reliable service. They're part of Amazon's network, so they're very trusted. And you can just cancel your membership whenever you want. After 30 days, if you haven't cancelled, then they will charge you $15 as a normal member. And that will include a free audiobook download every month. But if you want, you can just sign up, um, download your first free audiobook. And then if if you don't like the service, you can just cancel it. And you can keep the audiobook and everything's cool. Now, if you want all of the details, go to teacherluke.co.uk forward slash audible okay and that will give you all of the details um okay right that's it that's my plug for audible done uh what time is it this we've we've been doing this for about 45 minutes how are you are you all right are you keeping up with this uh there's a lot more to come um in this episode i hope that you're finding this interesting i hope that you're thinking about you know what maybe you're thinking about your own national identity at this point um, I'm very curious to know about, I mean, I'd love to hear from you um, telling me about your countries in the same way that I'm telling you about my country, you know, I, and, I, and I do encourage you to do that. Just leave a few sentences as comments on the website. Just share your thoughts and stuff like that. Um, now, let's carry on with this episode. Um, so we've we've seen how uh, foreign people may I may define Britishness, but what about British people? How do British people define Britishness? 
Well, for me, when you ask the average British person to define Britishness, I find that they always give certain stock answers, typical answers to this question too. So you've got your typical answers from foreigners and typical answers from British people as well. As we know, it's very hard to truly define the concept of Britishness. So what happens is you end up listing uh, various um, associations um, which don't fully deal with the whole subject in a satisfyingly complete way. But nevertheless, let's have a look at that. You know what I'm going to do here? I think I'm going to stop this episode. And I think this feels like a good point to end this this episode now. And we'll come back to this subject in part two, uh, which, which you should be able to get um, either immediately or you might need to wait a couple of days. But anyway, I think I'm going to... Bro- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to first of all uh, try and speak my own language. And then uh, I think I'm going to draw this episode to a close at this point. Um, it's normal. Wait, is it normal? It's sort of becoming normal for me to sing a song to you at the end of an episode. Um, So as I usually say at this point, if you don't like music and you don't like to hear me sing, now's the time to stop listening. And if you do stop now, what you will miss is me singing a song and then saying goodbye. Uh, All right. But if you if you like to hear a bit of music and a bit of singing, then stick around because I will sing a tune to you. I think I'm going to pick something that um, somehow is British, something quintessentially British or English. You know, I'm English, so I think I can do that. So um, stick around if you want to hear a song. Otherwise, I'll catch up with you in the next uh, episode. For now, it's time to just say goodbye. Bye, bye, bye. Okay, then. So before the closing jingle from this song, uh, from this episode, I'm going to try and do... I'm going to try and do a song. And uh, I've actually got the guitar this time, not the ukulele, because the song I want to sing to you is uh, it's just too hard to play on a ukulele. So I need to, I need the full um, six strings of a guitar. Um, uh, and so this song is by The Kinks. I wonder if you know them. Do you know The Kinks? They were a big group in the 1960s. The lead singer was called Ray Davis, and he also wrote most of the songs. Um, and uh, what can I tell you about The Kinks? Well, um for me, this song sums up a lot of my feelings about British life, particularly English life. And the song's called Autumn Almanac. Um, and um, so it's by the Kinks, written in 1967. Ray Davis, the songwriter, was known for writing songs that had a particularly English sensibility. Um, and so this one is, is called Autumn Almanac. What's an almanac, you might think? So uh, an almanac is really a handbook um, which contains lots of information of general interest. Um, and in this case, it's an autumn almanac. So really, this song is about Ray Davis's just Ray Davis trying to um, describe or summarize uh, the feeling of autumn in England and all of the associations that that brings. And for me, it's very evocative of of a feeling in British life. Um, it describes various aspects of, let's say, English life, because I think it's more specific than, than just British. Um, it describes various aspects of English life. Um, imagine a picture book of images 
Um, gardening, the weather, the end of summer, the approaching winter, escaping British people, escaping from the lack of sun by staying indoors and drinking tea and eating buttered currant buns, the atmosphere of a pub on a Friday evening, football on Saturdays, a roast lunch on Sundays. Um, it has a kind of nostalgic feeling to it, this song, um, and a slight sense of sadness along with the national pride. Maybe a sense of, as well as being proud of um, uh, the community that Ray Davis is singing about in this song, he also feels like it's holding him back and that he, he, uh, he'll never be able to escape it. So it's a weird mix of like pride and sadness and nostalgia. Um, and... Um, there's also that sense that uh, maybe this version of England that he's singing about is slowly disappearing as the country modernises more and more and perhaps the values and habits uh, are going to be lost at some point in the future, which I think is something that uh, people often feel whenever they, uh, you know, really feel... Whenever they think about their country, uh, there's always that sense of things are changing, we're losing... Uh, these these traditional values. I think that's quite a common feeling. Anyway, the song is called Auto Autumn Almanac, and I'm going to try and play and sing it for you now. Um, it's actually a deceptively complex song, but I'm not going to make excuses for myself. I'm just going to try and play it. Here it is. Okay, so I've just tried to record this song, uh, and I've just I tried again and again and again. It took me probably about 20 attempts. And the final version, I just listened back to it. And no. Okay? No. I'm not going to put it on the podcast. Why? Because it's piss poor. It's rubbish. It's not good enough. And I, I don't do the song justice. And I wouldn't. Uh, be, it wouldn't be good for you. For your ears. Uh, and just generally the world will be a better place if um, you don't hear my version of that song. Uh, but I do still love the song, and rather than just putting it on the episode here, which uh, I try not to do too much, I try not to put other people's work into my stuff too much, and I'm kind of drawing the line with this song for some reason. Um, if you want to hear it, then you can obviously go to teacherluke.co.uk and there I will um, embed a, um, a YouTube video uh, of that song. So you can do that if you like, and then you can actually hear it. Um, but uh, my pride has, has got in the way, and uh, I'm not willing to let you hear my, frankly, bad version of, the, of this classic song. Um, I think it, it's actually an incredibly complex song. When you look at the chords, and I'm going to leave the chords and the lyrics on the website... Um, underneath the video when you look at the chords you'll notice it gets pretty complicated and also it's very melodic and I don't my voice isn't good enough and I'm not I'm going to stop making excuses now uh, all I will say is just go to teacherluke.co.uk and you'll see the video for the song that I'm talking about um, that's the end of part one of this episode but in part two um, I am going to deal with uh, the whole idea of Britishness from the point of view of Britain so what do British people um, how do British people define Britishness? And we'll be looking at all kinds of other interesting stuff. Um, so stay tuned for that one. But for now, it's time for me to say goodbye. And I'm going to do it again now. Here it is. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.
Thanks again for listening to Luke's English podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.